0: I put up a comment on social media the other day and it led to some interesting responses. I wanna share that comment with you in case you're not active on social media. There's one response in particular I wanna share and then I wanna meditate a little bit on it. I didn't think my comment was particularly controversial. In fact, most people retweeted it approvingly and the one comment I wanted to reflect on was atypical of the responses but it was atypical in a way that is useful. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius MacKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know this are sellouts, they put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, Sing it, sing it. And then they shared that Zone. No, I'm not I'm gonna apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? <laughs> <laughs> so they stole it. The comment that I made was the following, we need to normalize mentioning the name ANC when telling stories about the economic and deeply personal impact of blackouts, such as a child dying because of lack of oxygen when an inverter runs out of backup power and they happen to be dependent on oxygen at home. The effects of blackouts aren't random natural events, they are the foreseeable consequences of corruption, state capture, technocratic ineptitude, and unethical and ineffectual leadership by the ANC-misled government, make it a habit to tie the story of ESCOM to the ANC. Now, on both Facebook and Twitter, that got a lot of shares and retweets, respectively, And then someone on WhatsApp, I won't mention their name because I don't have their permission, uh, is someone I deeply respect and have engaged on a bunch of issues. I know they are incredibly smart, incisive, thoughtful and engaged citizen and certainly cannot be accused of suffering from Stockholm Syndrome in relation to the ANC. But they responded to that particular comment of mine in a way that I thought, what do I say to this? And I haven't responded. In fact, I decided to hit the pause button and think about it. And this is the response that I'm now gonna share on this very short edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Their response to me was, I hear you Eusebius, but what is the alternative? Elections are around the corner And I don't feel like there's a viable alternative. And again, without mentioning them, I discussed their response today with an international correspondent that um, has been living in South Africa or has been living in South Africa for the last two decades or so. And we were just, as one invariably does, between journalists and political animals over lunch, thinking through different scenarios of what may or may not play out next year in our general national and provincial elections. Now, the reason this comment is one that I couldn't respond to instantaneously is that firstly, this is the first point I want to make, is that it is all too familiar and it is an indictment, rightly so, on the state of opposition parties. For a country like ours, with rolling blackouts, at the moment we're on stage six as I'm speaking, up to seven, eight hours a day without electricity, the crippling effect that has, what prompted my comment was a story of a child who had died because they ran out of oxygen, uh, because the backup power also just collapsed, uh, because things like inverters and generators were not meant to be permanent substitutes Uh, technically for for rolling blackouts, and in that context, with employment being over 30% on the formal definition, much higher on the proper definition, the economy not growing at all, at best around 0.3%, you'd think it's a walk in the park for the opposition to be a viable alternative. For someone to understand that the ANC is a shell, it's morally bankrupt. That Mr. Ramaphosa is at best pedestrian, at worst a continuation of the intractable weaknesses of the ANC after 1994. In that context, for a citizen to say I get your description of the ANC and how the ANC's name is inherently to be linked to the state of state-owned assets, but who do I vote for? That should be a massive embarrassment for John Stearnason, Julius Malema, and even, quite frankly, for the smaller additional parties on the ballot box. It should be a no-brainer that the ANC will get less than 50%. It should be a no-brainer that they won't be the biggest party amongst all of them next year. And yet, when my friend slash journalist colleague, the correspondent, said to me, what do you think will happen next year? I mean, of course, we don't have a crystal ball into which we can gaze. I said to him, you know, sure, we we could end up with coalition politics nationally, But if I was a betting person, I wouldn't bet my last dollar or rand on the ANC definitely not getting 50 plus one. I don't think they deserve 50 plus one, but you actually can't even take it off the table. I think the strongest bet you can make is that in Gauteng, we're not going to have... I mean, yeah, the ANC is not going to get 50 plus one. Yeah, I'd be prepared to, to put a bit of money on, on that outcome. But nationally, you can't. And so I understand the frustration of this voter and their sense of despair that despite the state of the state and the linkage between ESCOM and the ANC's ineptitude, it's not obvious who the quote unquote viable alternative is. And for me, the first major comment flowing from that response to my social media comment about ESCOM needing to be linked to the ANC every time we speak about ESCOM is that, you know, if the, ANC, if the opposition parties are not going to wake up now, I'm afraid we're going to be saddled with the ANC and its sense of incumbency with the consequences for ourselves materially for a long time to come. And that, for me, is the first really tragic reading of a voter responding to my point, agreeing with it, but in despair, saying, I don't think there's a viable alternative. The second thought, as I was meditating on this in the last couple of days, that came up for me is that it then raises the question, well, why do the alternatives not feel viable to South Africans. And of course, that's a question of fact and you can try and engage citizens. And to be fair, many opposition parties do try and understand. They've got different diagnoses and different strategies and tactics for how to do it. You've got very new entrants like Rai Zanzi who have a really interesting internal take on why we don't have voters voting in larger shares of the vote for opposition parties. But for me, you know, there are two things to say here. The first is an old point that is really important to restate. I think a mistake that many opposition politicians make, not at the level of party position, but if you engage them privately, or you shut up and let them speak long enough, uninterrupted on a, on a platform, they really do think that voters are just psychologically crippled and unable to let go of the ANC. And listeners to this podcast will know that we had an episode, myself, uh, Coffee Kwaku, where we puzzled through that possibility. And it is an interesting, psycho-political question to ask and one to be taken seriously. But to eliminate your own weaknesses as opposition by thinking that you are the victims... Of psychologically crippled voters is too convenient. And I think it's important to remind and to challenge, not just remind, to frame it as a challenge to the leadership of opposition parties to stop thinking that the explanation for why you are not doing better is to be found in externalities beyond your control. That is not true. There are many things that are within your control actions and inaction that are an important part of the overall explanation for why you're not doing better and i think that's really important which brings me to the final point as part of the sort of two-prong reminders of the opposition the first is stop thinking that people are addicted to the ANC as some sort of psychological necessity that you just can't dislodge because you, you you're saying that conveniently to not hold yourselves responsible for not being more strategic and having better tactics in your toolkit, and so related to that, I think one of the strategic mistakes you continue to make. And I mean, I'm getting older, restating this point not because I'm running out of creativity, but because it remains true. Running a campaign on the basis of anything but the ANC is not the way to make the person whose response I read out near the beginning of this episode of Eusebius on Times Live to think that you are a viable alternative. They want to know, what did you do to arrest the energy insecurity? If they were clear on your plan, found your plan to be viable, affordable, desirable, that we would have access to a secure supply of affordable electricity, energy that can help to grow the economy again, she wouldn't despair. She's not psychologically addicted to the African National Congress, but she probably could not say to an alien, here is my one-minute summary of what the EFF would do to eliminate load shedding, what Action SA would do to eliminate load shedding, what Rais Mzanzi would do, what the Democratic Alliance would do, And so therein lies a set of problems that have got nothing to do with the historic relationship between the ANC and voters in terms of where the ANC fits into our psyche as a nation. It has to do with negative campaigning where your tonality and the content of your speechifying is on some, the more we have the ANC, the more we're going to get grand scale theft, continued lack of accountability, ineffectual leadership, no service delivery, more cholera, outbreaks and the like. And all of those things may be true, but what we don't hear being centered are your pathways to sustained levels of economic growth above 5%, reducing inequality of assets, income, wealth. How will we get grade four learners to be able to read, read for meaning, you need to make sure that at least 50, 60% of your messaging between now and the day we all go and vote is in the solution space with a clear vision, pick two or three signature ideas and policies that go to the heart of the most important material questions that voters have and tell us what you're gonna do. Don't diagnose the ANC, Because we live under the ANC's weaknesses as voters, and we know just as well as you do. And in fact, millions of poor Black South Africans know the ANC's weaknesses better than us middle-class people who try and grab the mic to describe eloquently what's wrong with the state of the state. And therefore, from a strategic communications point of view, we need to hear opposition parties explain to someone like the person whose response I read out, why indeed you are viable. And I'm afraid simply imagining yourselves to be victims of irrational voters who vote against their self-interest, who are psychologically addicted to the ANC, is way too easy a way of not holding yourself accountable as opposition parties.